this episode. God, motherfucking, I shouldn't have had that beer. Pint of blood and a pint of beer, Dan. I don't think it's an equal kind of thing as far as yeah. the brain goes, you know? Yeah, like, I don't think it replaces it all, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me try this again. Shit. Okay. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana, how are you this evening? Pretty good. Another cold day here in Colorado, but uh, otherwise I'm I'm warm inside. And how are you? You gave blood tonight. I did. I gave, but I, I did give blood. And here here's the interesting thing. First off, I encourage all of our listeners, and we have already said this, Dana, you and I give blood on the regular, and we've done this before. We've encouraged our listeners to give blood, especially in the winter. It's really needed. The holiday season, you're thinking about a gift. What could be better than donating blood to someone who really needs it. So I'll put in the show description a link to the Red Cross. People can go to that website and make an appointment. Super easy, really painless, Dana. We, we joke around about it a lot, little bit, but very painless and a really good thing for people to do. Blood banks are actually very low this time of year. And so if there's a major accident or something, they have to usually call other hospitals to get blood from. Here's the other good thing about donating blood, Dana. If you donate blood and that same day you drink a beer or a glass of wine, it's like <laughs> double the effect. So it's really a, a win-win situation. Is this the voice of experience tonight, Dan? I may have replaced the pint of blood with a pint of 8.1% IPA, maybe. <laughs> So if I pass out during the podcast, you know, you'll you'll know why. I'll do my best to carry on without you. Well, congratulations, Dan, on, on donating blood. It's a great thing. I hope that you can make it through the show. Oh, I'm sure I will. So, Dan, last week we started off season three, episode one, Spock's Brain, and we did have some comments on that. I'll start off with the Facebook comments, if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Our friend William Kroll says, I am still impressed they were able to do brain surgery on Spock without touching a hair on his head. Great point. You kind of brought that up during during our podcast. Yeah, wasn't uh, his hair didn't look like it had been must at all. No. Our good friend Ryan Whiteside said, finally got to listen to the episode. It's the hardest I've laughed in a very long time. Ryan, we're, we're here for you, and uh, we'll see what we can do to keep you laughing. <laughs> yeah. I posted this on Facebook and I said something about brainless women in miniskirts. And uh, I, I think I titled it, One of Our Brains is Missing. And we got a comment from uh, Jesse the Sledge Hammer. I like that, though, the Sledge. That sounds almost like a wrestler name. Yeah, well, he, he wrestled with us, so uh, he he put in caps. He said, brainless women in miniskirts, are you serious? They knew how to surgically remove Spock's brain. They were thousands of years advanced beyond Enterprise. That was the whole point of the episode, and he has FFS after that. And I, I think that's uh, some kind of fan thing, right? Fans forever, Star Trek, I don't know, I'm guessing. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I would never use it because for fuck's sake, what could that mean? <laughs> oh, do you think that's what it means? Oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. 
Thank you, Jesse. That's great. And so I kind of, I didn't argue with him. I just made our point that uh, the women were portrayed as being kind of idiots. Here's the thing. In the podcast, I thought you made it really clear that one of your complaints was how women were portrayed as brainless, not that you agreed with them being brainless, <laughs> but that's how it was written. Just once again, you know, reiterating our point about the whole sexist attitude of Star Trek, the original series. Finally, uh, Zoom Kwan, who's written to us before and is a faithful follower, said, A bit of help for you guys. An atomic pile is not an oversized Schmitter. <laughs> <laughs> It is an old term for an early nuclear reactor. I have to say, Dana, I actually knew that, but it didn't fit with the joke. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the joke was about, you know, <laughs> it was about our piles. But anyway, you know. <laughs> But Zoom is actually absolutely correct. Yeah, and he's helped us before. He has. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he's he's uh, and he's nice about it, you know. Yeah. Dan, you have some comments you wanted to share? Yes, I do. We got an email from Anthony Sinclair, who sent us emails before. And the email, Dana, was titled, Can I Venmo the Ramble Jar? And the answer is, yes. Yes, you can. We just need a Venmo account, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Anthony, yeah, uh, that, that was very funny, the, uh, the title. But Anthony goes on to say, hi guys, to add to the rambling about annoying noises, what about people who crinkle their plastic water bottles? Oh God, Dana, that oh. is one that really gets me. My wife does it to me on purpose, Dana, on purpose. Well, you shouldn't be drinking out of plastic water bottles anyways, because they're not 100% recyclable. No. So, so thank you for, you know, like <laughs> slamming me for that, Jesse. <laughs> no, thanks for that, Dana. But I know that, but I do get those plastic water bottles when I go and give blood. They, they give you that. They like insist that you take it with you, you know? Oh, yeah. And so I get home, I'll drink it. And then my wife will just crinkle that. Oh, my God, that is the worst. So Anthony, 100% with you on that. But Anthony goes on to say, that crackling sound is my nemesis. Yes, Anthony. Yes, we are brothers. We are brothers in that. <laughs> and then he says, I enjoyed your episode on Spock's brain and propose a contest when you wrap up the series on greatest quotes. Brain and brain is one of them. And I'm sure your listeners have others they quote as well. I think it's a great idea, Dana. Yeah, we still have some shirts that we've been talking about giving away. So that's a thought. Yep, exactly. And then he says, best wishes and have a happy holiday. Thanks again for the email, Anthony. Next from YouTube, TG Chisholm said about Spock's brain, I love the series, but always thought it was the dumbest episode. Spock helping at the end was the worst. And I think he means during the surgery. Probably. Yeah. So thanks, TG, for that. Also from YouTube, J.D. Lewis, who has sent us quite a few comments before, says about Spock's brain, don't level all the blame at writer Gene Kuhn. Gene Roddenberry commissioned and approved this script. If you need positive proof that Roddenberry was on autopilot for season three and completely divorced himself creatively from the series, this episode is exhibit A. And then he finishes with, P.S. Fun fact, the classic crime drama Hawaii Five-0 premiered the same night on CBS. I loved that show, Hawaii Five-0, though, Dana, the original. Loved it. Oh, yeah. We watched it as kids. That was one of my brother's favorite shows. Yeah. Maybe we should add that to the list of possibilities for what we do after Star Trek. That ran for seven seasons. Uh, <laughs> what was something that ran for like half a season? <laughs> <you know? laughs> 
Hey, thanks to everyone who wrote to us and said hello and sent their comments. We really appreciate it. We always look forward to hearing from our listeners. And don't forget, we do have a phone number that you can call. Dan, what's that phone number? The number is 509-676-6298. And I do have a little bit of a challenge, Dana. I'd like to get five phone calls before we take a break for the winter holidays, which we're going to do after the next episode. So how about five phone calls? I think we can get that, don't you think? Oh, I think so. Dan, it's season three, episode two, the Enterprise incident. So we start out with a medical log by Dr. McCoy stating that Captain Kirk has seemed irritable, showing signs of emotional stress and tension. We see Kirk enter the bridge and asking for reports. Uhura is in the background, looks on with concern, and then he turns to Spock and asks for a full scan of the region. Spock says he has given him a full report, and Kirk gets upset and says, is it too much to ask for the crew for current information? Yeah, he's angry. He's very angry right now. So Kirk walks over to Sulu and tells him to make a course correction. Sulu looks stunned as does Spock. Sulu comments the course correction will take them right into the Romulan neutral zone. Whoa. Yeah, that's it's not something every captain asks you to do. So Kirk says that's very perceptive of you. So Sulu complies and the ship makes a turn. Spock reports that he is scanning one parsec and everything is clear. Scotty comes on the bridge and goes to Uhura and asks, when did the order come down? And Uhura whispers back, there haven't been any orders. And Scotty says, surely the captain couldn't be doing this of his own authority. And Kirk glances back at them and tells them to feel free to voice their concerns out loud. Just then, a Klingon ship appears and Kirk orders battle stations. And Scotty says, it couldn't be a Klingon ship, not in this area. And Spock says, intelligence reports, Romulans now using a Klingon design. That part did not really make any sense to me. Because remember when we saw an episode in season one or two, we did see the Romulan bird of prey with, with the Romulan design on the bottom of it and everything. However, I think if we had watched the episodes in production order, Dana, <laughs> it would make sense, right? So just then, a second ship appears, and then a Romulan warbird approaches, and Spock reports they are now surrounded. So Kirk orders Uhura to send a coded message to Starfleet, then he turns to Spock and says, a minute ago you said this area was clear. What happened? And Spock says he has a theory. But before he can finish, Uhura says they are being hailed by the Romulan ship. Uhura puts on the main screen, a Romulan man appears and identifies the Enterprise and says, it is captain by James Kirk. He introduces himself as Subcommander Tall and then says, you will surrender immediately or we will destroy you. Kirk cuts the communication. He says to Spock, he wants my ship and he wants it badly. Otherwise, they would have destroyed us. Yeah, that Romulan guy I thought was pretty good. I thought he played that role really well here and in the rest of the episode. So Spock agrees with Kirk that they would destroy them and Kirk orders communications reconnected and says, if you try to board my ship, I'll blow it up. Why didn't he use the, uh, what's the one with the little kid, Clint Howard, what do you call it? Corbamite? Yeah, the Corbamite maneuver. I think what he should have said was, if you don't, you know, let us go, we're going to beam Clint Howard over to your ship. <laughs> And you will rue the day that you ever tried to attack us. Yeah, so. Because you're going to have to spend so much money on like orthodontia <laughs> and hair implants. 
Sorry, Clint Howard. If you're listening, Clint, oh, we'd love to have you on the show. It'd be great. So all of a sudden, Tall, we see he receives a message and he puts an earphone in his ear, then turns back to Kirk and says, no one should decide to die so quickly. You have one Earth hour. I love that everybody knows Earth time in the galaxy. Yeah, but do they know daylight savings time? <laughs> I mean, what er what hour on Earth are they talking about? So he said, yeah, you have one Earth hour right at daylight savings time. Is that, you know, falling back or, or springing ahead? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so either they have two hours or the hour's already up. Yeah. <laughs> so Kirk says, you realize Starfleet has been advised of this situation. Tal says, a subspace message will take three weeks to reach Starfleet. Is that three Earth weeks or is that three <laughs> Romulan weeks or what, what is that? Yeah, because a lot will depend on how far you are from the sun and all that kind of stuff, right? Sure. So the next thing we see is a computer screen with the image of the Klingon slash Romulan ships. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and Scotty are all in the conference room. Kirk asks Spock what his theory is. Spock says the Romulans could have developed a cloaking device, which would render sensor scans useless. And Kirk says, if so, the Romulans could attack in Federation territory before we even knew they were there. So Dana, in the balance of terror, and I think they even mention it in the deadly years, the Romulans already have a cloaking device, right? So what's the difference between the one they have now and the one they used to have? Before, wasn't it that they they could uh, they could detect the ship if it was moving. Okay, so that's the difference. And now it's a complete cloak, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's moving, if it's standing still. That does make it a more formidable weapon, I suppose, right? And as Scotty says, they caught us right enough. Well, that's a brilliant observation, Mr. Scott. Do you have any other helpful opinions? Well, we've not got many choices. And Kirk says, we have three. We can fight and be destroyed. Or we can destroy the Enterprise, or we can surrender. Uhura calls and says the Romulan vessel is hailing them again, and Kirk tells her to put it on the screen. So we see the Romulan sub-commander on the monitor in the conference room. Tal says, our commander wants to talk with Kirk and Spock in person on the Romulan ship. Kirk says, why should we deliver ourselves to you? And Tal says, we'll send over two officers. So they're like exchanging hostages, kind of. Yeah. So in the transporter room, Kirk tells Scotty, if we don't return, fight. And if you have to, destroy the ship. Scotty says, perfectly clear. They beam off the ship as two Romulans appear on the transporter pads and look like they're security guards. They've got the helmets on and everything. By the way, those helmets, dumb. D-U-M dumb, Dana. Yeah, it's like somebody cut a lime open and, and put it on their head. That's so true. Have you seen those videos when people do that with oranges and put them on cats? Yeah. My profile picture uh, for the longest time was a cat with a lime uh, football helmet. Really? Yeah. So on the Romulan ship, Kirk and Spock are ushered into the commander's quarters. We don't see the commander right away. We just see like a high back chair and it can kind of make out the top of the commander's head. Just enough that you could do brain surgery on. <laughs> <laughs> the commander turns around the chair and we see the commander is a woman. Now this, I have to say, was a great move on the part of Star Trek to make a starship commander a woman. In fact, this is the first episode in all of the Star Trek franchise where we have a starship commander who is female. So the commander insists on speaking to Kirk alone first. Uh, two guards escort Spock out of the room. The commander says the matter of trespass into Romulan space is one of galactic import. A violent
violation of treaties. Now I ask you simply, what is your mission here? And Kirk kind of like shrugs and says, instrument failure caused navigational error. We were across the neutral zone before we realized it. Then we were surrounded by your ships before we could get back. And so the commander doesn't buy a story. Sure, I wouldn't either, yeah. <laughs> and she says, if a Romulan vessel ventured into Federation space, what would a good commander do? Kirk just kind of looks at her and so she calls Spock in. The commander turns to Spock and says, I must admit some surprise on seeing you, Spock. We were not aware of Vulcans aboard the Enterprise. And Spock says, Starfleet is not in the habit of informing Romulans of the ship's personnel. I like that line. Yeah, it was a good line. I liked it too. Kirk, of course, being a little bit jealous, says, what earns Spock your special interest? Our forebears had the same roots and origins, something you wouldn't understand, Captain. So she says, we can appreciate the Vulcans, our distant brothers. I have heard of Vulcan integrity and personal honor. There's a well-known saying, or is it myth, that Vulcans are incapable of lying. And Spock says... It is no myth. Then she asked Spock to tell her what their mission was. And Spock says, speaking of it, will violate his honor as a Vulcan. He goes on to say that Kirk has not been himself for several months. I believe he has lost capacity for making rational decisions. Spock goes on saying that Kirk ordered the Enterprise into the neutral zone of his own volition. And Kirk starts screaming at Spock. He's like, I'll kill you, you filthy traitor. I'll kill you. And then the uh, commander opens up the channel and speaks to the Enterprise. She then says she is ordering Mr. Scott to follow one of their ships. Scotty opens up a channel and tells them to take a hike, essentially. <laughs> He's not taking orders from a Romulan. He will fight to the bitter end and will destroy the Enterprise before they can get their hands on her. Kirk looks at Spock while still being restrained by the Romulan guards and says, Did you hear that, you coward? You've betrayed everything of value you ever knew. Did you hear the sound of human integrity? The commander orders Kirk be taken to a cell. Then she turns to Spock and says, A Vulcan among humans. I would think the situation would be intolerable to you. And Spock tells her he is half Vulcan and the other half is human. And she says, To whom is your allegiance then? Do you call yourself Terran or Vulcan? And Spock says, Vulcan. What is Terran? It's a, a reference to Earth. Like terracotta. Isn't that like ricotta? <laughs> yeah, it's a cheese. <laughs> <laughs> terracotta is a cheese made of people, Dana. Terracotta is people. <laughs> got ricotta like the whole milk ricotta in lasagna oh man so good that's the best did you ever have a lasagna made out of cottage cheese yeah my sister-in-law who's half italian the first time she made lasagna for us she used cottage cheese well that was the other half that was making it not the italian half <laughs> is she half italian and half like on a diet <laughs> Yeah, I've made it with the cottage cheese too, you know, to make it a little more diet friendly. Uh, yeah, it can still be okay, but it's not the same. No, it's not. Commander asks whether or not Spock likes Kirk and his shipmates, and Spock says it's irrelevant. So she says, if you'll stop looking on the Federation as the whole universe, and Spock says the thought has occasionally crossed my mind. So she's trying to get him to, like, switch sides. Yeah. So then we cut to the uh, their version of the brig, and we see Kirk is flung into the room. He gets off the floor and tries to attack the guard, but he's, he hits a force field, and he screams and is knocked back down. Back on the Enterprise, Uhura calls Dr. McCoy and says he is needed on the Romulan ship. 
I don't make house calls. Doctor, it's Captain Kirk. Next thing we see is McCoy scanning Kirk as he lays on a table, and Kirk's kind of twitching and acting weird. Like he's having a seizure almost, right? Yeah, yeah. And McCoy turns to the guard and says, he'll live, but he needs further attention. Inform your superior. The guard goes to a nearby wall intercom and calls the commander. And every time you notice when they call, they pull like an earpiece off and, and hold it to their ear. Just thought that was interesting. It's not like an open intercom. Right. They mixed it up, right? To show that the Romulans are different. Yeah, I, I liked it. I just thought it was interesting. Don't fucking argue with me. I wasn't arguing. I was agreeing. I was agreeing with you. Jesus, I'm not Jesse. <laughs> so in the commander's quarters, we see uh, the commander and Spock are standing fairly close to one another. And she listens to the message, then turns to Spock and says, attend me. And Spock follows her out the door. So it's kind of a reversal of what uh, Spock's father did to his mother. Yes, exactly. That's a great call out there, Dana. Yeah. As they walk down the hall together, the commander says, I'll expect you for dinner. And Spock replies, of course. Are the guards also invited? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she sends the guards away. So we go back to the cell where Kirk is kept and Kirk looks like he's drugged. He's just kind of like slouching. His eyes look droopy. Do you know why? No. He gave blood. That's the that's the reason. <laughs> Did they give him a pint of uh, IPA that was 8% as well? Yeah. So they took the blood and then they just gave him the IPA. Yeah. It was a good IPA though, I have to say. And normally I don't have a beer before, the, before we record this, but I thought, oh, what the hell? I've already given blood. Why not just double down? <laughs> just double down on that. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. So the commander asked McCoy about Kirk's condition. McCoy says, well, you can see for yourself he's mentally depressed physically weak, displays feelings of persecution and rebellion. The commander says, then by your own standards of normality, this man is not fully competent. And McCoy kind of shakes his head and says, no, not now. And he's losing his hair. <laughs> or none of us are being fooled by that toupee, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> So the commander says, this coincides with Mr. Spock's account. Captain Kirk is and was unfit to command the Enterprise. And bald. <laughs> so she asks Spock if he is ready to exercise his duty as commander of the Enterprise. And Spock says, yes, he is. And Kirk's breathing becomes stronger. He seems more agitated as Spock speaks. Then Kirk says, you traitor, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. And Kirk attacks Spock. Spock puts up his right hand on Kirk's face and then uses his left hand kind of on top of the right hand. And then all of a sudden, Kirk falls back in more pain. And McCoy says, what did you do? What did you do? And Spock says, I was unprepared for his attack. I instinctively used the Vulcan death grip. Your instincts are still good, Mr. Spock. Captain is dead. Wow. Spock's got to go to the other side right now, right? I mean, it's, he's, now he's going to be wanted for murder. This is the second time he's killed Kirk. Yeah. Because the first was in a muck time, right? Yeah. Maybe this time it'll stick. <laughs> Scotty's probably pretty happy, too. What would Scotty say? And how would he say it, Dana? It's a sad but glorious day. <laughs> <laughs> 
Back on the Enterprise, Kirk is laid out on a medical table. McCoy is checking some of the lights on a nearby wall. It just it was like a big panel with flashing lights, and he's standing there staring at it. So he walks out of the room, and Chapel comes in, and she's standing next to Kirk, and she looks very sad. And then all of a sudden, he opens his eyes, and Chapel jumps and calls for McCoy. He comes back in and says, I left orders for no one to come in here. And Chapel says, but he's alive. And McCoy says, well, I might as well tell you, hand me the Faisal stimulator. <laughs> <laughs> the what? Yeah, it's like pretty sure he said the physio stimulator. Oh, maybe it was physio. That makes more sense. Faisal. Like, who is that? Isn't that the mouse from one of those uh, stories? <laughs> Faisal was the uh, <laughs> the uh, Disney movie about you know, like he's the mouse from like Russia that comes over to America. Oh my god, I have no idea. I've got no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's a real story based on actual events. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought there was a King Faisal who was like a king in the Middle East in probably the 50s, 60s, something like that, 70s. King Faisal helped with the Arabs and the uh, British in World War II. Or no, shoot, Faisal was World War One. Yeah, they fought against the Germans in World War One. Was he a mouse? Yeah, and the Germans this is not commonly known, but Germans are scared shitless of mice. Chapel says, but he was dead. Their doctor certified he was dead. And McCoy says, Spock gave him a nerve pinch to simulate death. And Chapel gets all excited and says, then Mr. Spock is not a traitor. McCoy says, I didn't know until I beamed over to the Romulan ship. Spock and the captain were working under Federation orders. So Kirk wakes up and says his neck is in pain. And McCoy says it was that Vulcan death grip. And Chapel says, there's no such thing. Kirk says, but the Romulans don't know that. And McCoy says, that's why you did this. So if there was an incident, the Federation would not be to blame. It would all fall on you. And Kirk nods and tells McCoy to get ready for some surgery. Is this brain surgery, Dana? What kind of surgery <laughs> are we talking about? Brain, brain. Why is What is brain? <laughs> so next we see Scotty on the bridge as McCoy calls him to sickbay. Scotty says he cannot leave the bridge. And McCoy says, it is important that you come down to sickbay. Scotty says, we're surrounded by Romulans. I don't know anything more important than that. McCoy finally says, Mr. Scott, if you please. And Scotty agrees to go. I love this part, Dana. I think Scotty is great in this scene. Yeah. So Scotty enters sickbay complaining about having to come down here when the, you know, with all that's going on. And then all of a sudden he kind of like slows his gait, looks up and he comes to a stop and he, he's a little bit stunned, but he's got like a little smile on his face. And we see he's looking at Kirk with Romulan eyebrows and ears. Captain Kirk. Yes. Well, you look like the devil himself, but as long as you're alive, what's it all about? Are those Romulan officers still aboard the ship? They're in the brig, sir. I'll need a Romulan uniform. So back on the Romulan ship, the commander escorts Spock into her quarters. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, now we know what's going on. She says she has had a special Vulcan meal prepared just for him. So she hands him a glass of blue liquid. Is that Romulan ale? I think it's Romulan ale, Dana. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And she says, we have other inducements. And so then they kind of like nod at each other and drink. Back on the Enterprise, McCoy and Kirk are wondering why they haven't heard from Spock. Well, there's something going on there, though, Dana. It's pretty clear. And Kirk orders Scotty to beam him over to the Romulan ship. 
Kirk materializes in a hallway on the Romulan ship. The commander's quarters, we see Spock is eating and drinking. Now they're drinking something that looks like Tang. I, I bet it was, Dana. She says, Romulan women are not like Vulcan women. So it's it's obvious she's wooing Spock. Yeah, I think she's wanting to do the Romulan rumba with him. That's, that's my guess. Then she says to him that he will lead a band of Romulans onto the Enterprise. And Spock says, yes, but not right now. An hour from now will work even better. Whoa, an hour? Man, got some stamina. He's uh, wanting to prove his worth. So she gets up and says, if you'll permit me, this soldier will transform herself into a woman. Oh, God. Mm, some of these lines are cringeworthy to me. So she gets up and leaves, and Spock sits up and calls Kirk. And Kirk informs him he is on the Romulan ship, and Spock tells him that the cloaking device is in section just off from the commander's quarters. So Dana, you said that Spock called Kirk. Well, where was he hiding his communicator? He pulled it out of his back. Like out of the back of his pants, right? Yeah. Yeah, they got that Velcro belt that they wear. I'm sure that's what was attached there. Don't you think they would have taken that off of him when they brought him onto the ship? Maybe they didn't search him. So you're saying that it was not on the outside of his pants. It was on the inside <laughs> of his pants. That's what you're saying. I did not say anything. That's what I'm saying. You're yeah, saying. well, yeah, you're saying. <laughs> he did kind of like smell it. <laughs> Something was wrong there when he took it out of his pants. Pulled it out and kind of rubbed it on his leg, kind of get the uh, the dew off, as it were. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> the poo dew. On the bridge of the Romulan ship, an officer reports to the subcommander that there is an alien transmission emanating from within the ship. Meanwhile, Kirk says he'll get the cloaking device, but wants to know if Spock will be able to get away. And Spock starts to say that is unknown just when the commander enters and she's wearing a dress. So she uh, walks up to Spock and says, is my attire more appropriate? Spock says, Commander, your attire is not only more appropriate, it should actually stimulate our conversation. You know, how many times has stimulate... <laughs> you know, been in Star Trek and maybe even by Spock. Yeah. Because didn't in the last episode, he was saying, stimulate my nerve endings or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's, he's, he's basically saying the same thing in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing we see is Kirk in the hallway. A guard stops him and Kirk says there's an intruder aboard the ship and they must find him. And the guard asks to see his identification and Kirk points to his right and says, over there. And when the guard turns, Kirk hits him and knocks him out. So we go back to the commander's quarters. She says, it is hard to believe I can be so moved by the touch of an alien hand. So I was wondering where Spock's other hand was. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're only seeing the right hand. Just then there is uh, Nakus Interruptus. There's someone knocking at the door and the commander tells them to go away, but they insist it is urgent. She lets them in and they say there has been an alien communication on the ship and she tells them to go locate it. And so then they say it has been coming from here. And she seems shocked. And just then Spock comes through the curtains, which is, I'm assuming, her bedroom, and holds up his communicator. And the commander says the cloaking device. And they run off and take Spock with them. We go back to Kirk and he's found his way into the cloaking device area. We see a bunch of like computer machines. And then there's one that's got like a lamp bulb over it. Another Romulan stops him and insists Kirk drop his weapon. And Kirk does what he's told and kind of kicks it aside. And then, of course, 
course, the Romulan bends down to get the other weapon and Kirk kicks the weapon out of the Romulan's hand. And then the Romulan just kind of sits there for a second until Kirk kicks him in the face and knocks him out. So, Dana, that guy who played the Romulan had to be related to someone in the show because he had no acting skills. I mean... I can't act, but I, I probably could have done a better job than that guy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So Kirk goes to the cloaking device, and next thing we see, Kirk has the cloaking device in his arms, and he calls to Scotty to beam him out. He just, like, pulled it out of, like, a hole that it was attached to, right? I mean, it was... Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I didn't see him with a wrench or any tools or anything, right? So No, he just, like, lifted it out. So as he dissolves, the commander enters the control room. They come in the room. They don't look at the cloaking device to begin with. She's looking at, like, the wall. Everybody else is, like, running around the room like, you know, oh, there's a guard knocked out and stuff. But she said the cloaking device when they first ran out of the other room. So wouldn't they go, like, and first look for the freaking cloaking device <laughs> that was right in the center of the room? Yeah. Sure, the ship searched, and Spock says that will prove profitless. On the Enterprise, Kirk gives the cloaking device to Scotty and tells him to get it installed. And he almost craps his pants, right? Because he's like, how am I supposed <laughs> to do this. Yeah. And Scotty asks about Spock and Kirk says, we have to hope he can buy us enough time to get it installed. And then he tells Scotty he has 15 minutes and Scotty takes the cloaking device and runs off. Back on the Romulan ship, the commander looks at Spock and says, you must be mad. And Spock assures her he is quite sane. She asks, why would you do this to me? Who are you to do this? And Spock replies fairly stoically, first officer of the Enterprise. And she slaps him across the face and it looked like a good slap. Spock asks, what is your present form of execution? Back on the ship, we see Scotty is working on installing the cloaking device. And my question is, Dan, how did Kirk get it out with no tools, yet Scotty's got to use like every tool and that it says disposal to get it hooked up. And I realize it's a different setup. It seemed like plug and play to me, you know, when Kirk just pulls it out. So Kirk enters the bridge. He's got his Starfleet uniform on, but still has his Romulan ears and eyebrows intact. Everyone seems startled to see him. They all say they thought he was dead. And Kirk responds, the report was premature. He orders Sulu to lay in a course for home and tells Chekhov to check the sensors. He says, Spock is still on the ship. I want his body readings pinpointed and isolated. On board the Romulan ship, the commander tells her subcommander to, pre to prepare to board the Enterprise on her command. And she says, if they resist, destroy them. And the subcommander leaves. She says, execution of state criminals is both painful and unpleasant. I mean, it seems to imply that they have forms of punishment that are painful and pleasant. <laughs> Doesn't it imply that? So the sentence will be carried out immediately after the charges have been recorded. And Spock says, I demand the right of statement first. And she looks at him and says, you understand Romulan tradition well. And she says, the right is granted. Spock says, thank you. I shall not require much time. No more than 20 minutes, I should say. We cut back to the Enterprise as Scotty works to install the cloaking device. On the bridge, Kirk asks Chekhov, what's taking so long to find the lone Vulcan on the ship? And Chekhov says Vulcans and Romulans quite similar on the sensors. <laughs> that kind of sounded like a <laughs> Scottish Russian guy. <laughs> 
Then Chekhov says, I've got him. And Kirk orders to feed the coordinates to the transporter room. And Scotty reports the cloaking device is installed, but he cannot be sure if it will work. Kirk orders to beam Spock aboard. On the Romulan ship, the commander hears the transporter whine, and she runs around the desk and starts throwing her arms around him just as he gets demolecularized. <laughs> I'm sure that's the term, yeah. Dan, I always thought like the, the transporter sound was just a special effect for the viewers. Why would it make a sound on that end? Don't know, other than she needed some indication so she could go jump on him. On the Enterprise, Uhura reports that they have Spock aboard and the Romulan commander. Kirk orders Sulu to take them out at warp factor nine on the Romulan ship. They see the Enterprise has accelerated away. The subcommander orders all weapons brought to bear and to pursue the Enterprise. Back on the bridge, Kirk calls to Scotty to ask about the cloaking device, saying they're running out of time, and Scotty replies, the alien contraption is ready. Kirk orders them to throw the switch. On the Romulan bridge, they are ready to fire, and the Enterprise disappears. Spock informs Kirk that the Romulan commander informed him that even Romulan sensors cannot locate a cloaked ship. We go back to the bridge as McCoy calls up and asks Kirk to report to sickbay. Kirk asks why just as Spock returns to the bridge. McCoy says, I need to bob your ears unless you want to go through life looking like your first officer. Spock steps up next to Kirk and says, Please go. Somehow they do not look aesthetically agreeable on humans. Well, are you coming, Jim? Or do you want to go through life looking like your first officer? I'm on my way. So Kirk takes off towards the turbo lift and then looks back at Spock and he kind of touches his ear and then he gets on the turbo lift. And that's how the show ends, Dan. So Dana, something that people today might not know is that this episode was based on a real incident, wasn't it? Yeah, actually at the beginning of 1968, the USS Pueblo, quote unquote, wandered into North Korean waters and was captured by the North Koreans. And the ship was kind of disguised as a like research vessel, right? But it actually was a spy ship, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was an actual Navy vessel. And they had this like background story if they ever got caught that there were these two oceanographers, they were civilians, they were not in the Navy, who were then supposed to pretend that they were doing just ocean studies. The men were later released, but the uh, Koreans kept the ship. And in fact, the ship is the only commissioned ship in the United States Navy that is under enemy control. They never decommissioned that ship. Oh, wow. Another interesting thing is when these guys were captured, the North Koreans tortured them pretty mercilessly. Yeah. One of the guys was actually killed when the Koreans were capturing the ship and the other guys were tortured and beaten and the North Koreans were trying to get them to confess. So the North Koreans took a picture of the American, some of the Americans and the Americans were giving the finger in the picture and the North Koreans didn't understand what that was. And the Americans said, oh, this is a Hawaiian symbol for, for good luck or something. And it took the Koreans a long time until they found out that they were being given the finger and then they beat the crap out of the guys even more. That picture was published all over the world. There was a great movie, by the way, TV movie in 1973 yeah. with Hal Holbrook. Great, great movie about this. Yeah, I remember seeing that and being just stunned. And I went into class and like, you know, what, junior high or whatever it was then and uh, tried to get my history teacher to talk about it. And he was like, no, you know, we're talking about something else today. Well, he's probably like, this guy, Dana, who's brought up Star Trek before, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be some stupid thing he wants to talk about. <laughs> and who knows, Dana, you may have become a historian, I don't know, an expert in North Korea, something 
but this guy totally, you know, messed that up for you. I'm sorry. Sorry that as as a former teacher, Dana, I want to apologize for the entire teaching profession. Yeah, and look, and now I'm just a guy doing a podcast. Well, shoot, if you did all those other things, you might not be doing this podcast with me. So that would be that would be a shame too. That would. But pretty fascinating story though, right, Dana? The whole time I was watching this, I kept thinking, man, this is like the Pueblo incident. Yeah, I mean, it's not exact, but it just uh, that's what it reminded me of. Well, in DC Fontana, the writer, she talks about how the Pueblo incident was an inspiration for this episode. Very timely. That was a great idea. So Dana, you have some information about the actor who played the commander of the Romulan ship. Yeah, Dan, uh, Joanne Linville played the Romulan commander. She worked in a lot of TV episodes from the 50s and 60s. And uh, as we mentioned before, she was the first ever female commander in Star Trek. She and some of the other Star Trek alum had worked together before on other TV shows. As a matter of fact, she and William Shatner appeared as husband and wife in a couple of TV shows in the early 60s. And she also starred with Leonard Nimoy in a 1962 series. She did a few movies, but mostly worked in television and shows like I Spy, Bonanza, Hawaii Five-O that we mentioned, even Charlie's Angels. So uh, Linville retired in the 80s and she passed away at age 93 in 2021. Dana, how about a dilemma for this episode? To gain equality with technology with an enemy force at any risk. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. And then, of course, with Spock's story, it's using romance to sway an opponent or enemy at the cost of real feelings. Dan, do you have any themes or dilemmas you want to discuss? Yeah, I think with military technology, one country is always trying to one-up the other. And once that happens, the other country needs to kind of catch up. It's almost a never-ending and, frankly, kind of depressing story. Kind of like the podcast, never-ending and (laughs) depressing. Only to us. There's many people that find it uplifting, Dan. We don't know any of them, but I'm just I'm assuming. <laughs> Dan, what do you think were the best parts of this episode? I think one of the best parts was the Romulan commander. I thought she was excellent. We finally get a female character who is strong, intelligent, mostly well-written. I thought that was a really good part of this episode. How about for you, Dana? Uh, the intrigue, the whole spy game, I thought it came across really well, uh, especially as we got further into the episode and saw what was really happening. I just liked the way they played it out. How about you? Do you have another best part? Scotty, especially because I I just love it when he's all doom and gloom and like, you know, Cotton, I cannot possibly do it. Was that decent? Okay. If he was uh, Scottish and German. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you know, he's all doom and gloom and then things always work out. So I, I really like that part. Dana, did you have another best part? Well, I want to tag on to what you were saying, but this is one of the ones where Scotty's the miracle worker. Kirk is asking him for to do the impossible and he comes through. That's where the miracle worker concept comes from. Dana, how about throwing in another best part? I thought Leonard Nimoy's characterization of what he was going through with the Romulan commander was amazing. The depth, I think, that he was showing through his eyes uh, when he was with her, he was like a different Vulcan. Dan, do you have a, a worst part? for this episode? The whole seduction thing, I found a little bit humorous and not very believable. At least some of the lines. I understood the intent, but some of the lines I just didn't like. Frankly, I didn't think it was really necessary in the episode. How about a worst part for you? Kirk is able to remove the cloaking device in seconds with no tools. It's kind of like I mentioned plug and play, just pops it out. Like, How would he even know how to get it out of there? How do you know he didn't damage it pulling it out? Dan, do you have another worst part? I still don't understand why they didn't use 
use the Romulan bird of prey. How about another worst part for you? Along those same lines, obvious production cuts. The uh, Klingon ships used for Romulan ships. And I was reading, they uh, said that budget was tight and they had more models of Klingon ships around than they did Romulan ships. So they used those in this episode and just said, well, they're copying the, uh, the Klingons. Dana, how about one more worst part? The subterfuge that uh, kept McCoy in the dark, it, it didn't make any sense. Like he didn't know what was going on until he went over to the other ship. It, it didn't make sense that he was left out of it. Well, he's a blabbermouth though. Let's face it. <laughs> guy can't keep his mouth shut. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> Dana, what happened on this day in history? And I hope you've got a tragedy for us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dan, this uh, originally aired on September 27th, 1968. The number one song in the U.S. was Hey Jude by the Beatles. Nice. And in the U.K., the number one song was still Those Were the Days by Mary Hopkins. Also, I was curious uh, what was like a popular book at the time. Uh, Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test was a bestseller on this date. Was that about Ken Kesey? Uh, yeah, it was about all those guys, Ken Kesey and Tom Wolfe and how they uh, went around the country in a van. The Merry Pranksters. Yeah. Did you read that book? No, and I don't like Kool-Aid. <laughs> Might be why I didn't read the book. Dan, the number one film in the U.S. was Rachel, Rachel, which is uh, a uh, Joanne Woodward film. Directed by Paul Newman, her husband. Dan, you'll appreciate this. Cardinal super pitcher Bob Gibson threw his 13th shutout of the year on September 28th, 1968. Wow, Dana, that's pretty amazing. How many pitchers even throw a shutout anymore? You know, very few, I would guess. And no one's thrown 13. Yeah, it was uh, 13 in one season. It's just amazing to me. On September 26, thought this was interesting. Censorship of plays was abolished in the United Kingdom as the Theaters Act of 1968, approved on July 26, went into effect and ended the existence of the position of examiner of plays in the Lord Chamberlain's office after 230 years. Wow. With the government approval no longer required, the rock musical Hair, which included a scene with full nudity in the cast, made its British premiere in London's West End. You ever seen the play? I have not seen Hair, no. Have you? Yeah, seen the play, I've seen the movie. Have you been in the play? No. Would you have done a full frontal nudity if you were in the play? I'm doing full frontal nudity right Right now, Dan. I mean, those... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't bother me in the least. Yeah. <laughs> wow, our listeners are shocked. <laughs> Intrigued at the same time. <laughs> Mostly shocked, yeah. So. <laughs> and Dan, you mentioned this earlier, the long-running CBS drama Hawaii Five-O premiered in, on CBS 8 p.m. on September 26, beginning a 12-season run and 284-episode run that would last until April 5th, 1980. Wow. Yeah, let's not do that show, Dana. That's too much. <laughs> Is that everything? Aloha. There's no, no, no tragedy this week, Dana? For next week, I expect some type of tragedy. And again, not to make light of it, but five people dying in last week's tragedy is not, doesn't quite qualify. So let's try to up, the, up your game next week, okay? I'll, I'll do my best. Shall we move on to the counts? Yeah, we probably should move on to the <laughs> counts, Dana. I'm excited actually about this week's counts. Uh, let's start off with the dead crewman count for this week, Dana. We had zero, Dan, so we're still at 47. How about the shirtless Kirk Ripshire Kirk count? Nothing there. He got in a couple fights, didn't 
and rip a shirt, whether it's a Romulan cloak or whatever. So uh, we're still at 17. How about the he's dead count? I'm counting it. McCoy said the captain is dead. Absolutely. I think we need to count it, Dane. I agree. That was after Spock used the supposed Vulcan death grip. There was a band for a while called the Vulcan death grip. Was there really? Yeah. So that puts us up to 15, Dan. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. I'm really disappointed in McCoy. He hasn't said anything remotely like that in weeks. So we're still at eight. How about the supreme being count? Zero, Dan. So we are stuck at 10. All right. Violation of the prime directive. Not this week, Dan. So we are still at 10 for that. Okay. Taking over of the enterprise? Nope. Not even close. Uh, So we are at 10 on that as well. All right, this is the one I'm excited about. Who's commanding the Enterprise count? Now, I've got a question for you. I know Scotty took over for a bit, but wasn't Sulu also sitting in the command chair? Yes, he was. So that's two. So that bumps us up to 25. That is, with the exception of the dead crewman count, the biggest count we have. Well, Dana, I really enjoyed talking about this episode. I did like this episode a lot. A couple of things, you know, like with any episode we're going to find to pick at, but I thought this was quite a good episode. Yeah, Dan, for me, this is the uh, best episode of season three so far. Uh, Yeah, that's that's not saying much, though, is it? Yeah, but uh, like you, I really like this. A few things in there kind of bothered me, but nothing terrible that I wouldn't watch it again. It's it was fun. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was well acted. So just had everything going for it. All right, Dana. Hey, what do we got coming up for next week? Next week, Dan, it's the Paradise Syndrome. I think you were looking forward to this one. All right, I I am looking forward to this one. Hey, Dana, once again, had a great time as always. Enjoy the rest of your week. Dan, it's always a great time to get together and talk with you about Star Trek, the original series. It's always great to hear from our loyal listeners. So don't forget to email and also call. Dan is looking for five callers in the next two weeks. That's right. Yeah, two weeks. And you can reach us at 509-676-6298. Okay, Dan, until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dana and Dan next week for The Paradise Syndrome. Enjoy the rest of your week, and until we see you again, remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.